Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Geek Thyself. This week, I want to talk about a subject that I learned a little bit about in school and I always thought was really interesting, and that is Hatshepsut. I think I'm saying that right. She was an Egyptian pharaoh, and yes, I said she. She was actually one of the most famous female pharaohs of Egypt. There have been a few, not a lot, but she's one that not as many people know the name of, even though she did so much for Egypt when she was in power. For a lot of people, if you ask them about female pharaohs, the only one that really comes to mind is Cleopatra, because she's the one that's been more sensationalized, she's the one that people know more about, so, you know, she's the first one that pops in your head. But Hatshepsut actually came first. Hatshepsut was born into the 18th dynasty of pharaohs in Egypt, and it happened right after the lower kingdom had been reclaimed from some invaders, and they formed what was referred to as the new kingdom, and it was both the upper and lower portions of Egypt coming together again, so the upper and lower kingdom. And the first pharaoh of that dynasty was Amos I. So I'm going to go into her genealogy a little just so you can understand the complicated way in which she took power. So Hatshepsut was the fifth ruler of this 18th dynasty, and overall at the time Egypt was much more prosperous and productive, and especially under her rule it was doing really well. But Almost the First was the very first pharaoh of this 18th dynasty, and Historians don't know exactly how he was related to the rulers of the dynasty before the 17th dynasty. They think he might have been one of the sons of one of the many wives of the pharaoh, or he may have been a nephew or, you know, something like that. In some way, he was related to the 17th dynasty. He might also have been like a general who was had a lot of power, and so they put him in charge. They don't know. But his son, Amenhotep I passed on the pharaoh mantle to his son, the I. But the I never used the phrase king's son as part of his title. So they think that either he was the son of Amos's sister, or possibly one of the generals who'd been in power and that was favored by the pharaoh when the pharaoh passed away, something like that. But either way, because it was a passing of the torch, it's still considered part of the same dynasty. Hatshepsut was the I's oldest daughter with his wife Amos. And her younger brother, the II, was born to one of the lesser wives, meaning one of the secondary wives of the I, her father. So when the I died, leaving no son with his first wife, it meant that his oldest son would become the pharaoh in order to ensure a really smooth transition of power and because Hatshepsut had strong ties to the religious groups of the country, it was decided that Hatshepsut would marry her younger brother Thutmose II, which Nowadays, obviously, I'm sure a lot of you are going, because I know having a younger brother, that's my reaction. But the truth is that back then, 
in Egypt and in some other cultures, it wasn't considered an abnormal thing to have someone in the family marry another family member. They saw it as keeping the bloodline more pure, and also in some cases, such as with Hatshepsut and her younger brother Tutmos II, their gods, the pantheon itself, involved marriages between siblings. So to them, they were just mirroring the gods, so it didn't seem like it was a problem. So she married her younger brother, and they had a daughter, Neferure. I think I'm saying that right. Neferure. I'm not sure. But their daughter, again, the pharaoh is generally a masculine role, so their daughter couldn't inherit. And when Tutmos II passed away after a relatively short reign, he ended up with the same situation as his father, where he had no male heir with his first wife. He did have a male heir with his second wife, Tutmos III. And Tutmose III was too young at the time to take over ruling the country. So instead, Hatshepsut, who was Tutmose III's aunt, as well as being his stepmother, took over as regent and controlled things for a while. And this wasn't abnormal for them to do, because if the male heir wasn't ready to take on the throne because his father had passed away when he was still too young, they would often have the mothers of the they called it the mother of the king or king's mother. And it was a role that was actually given a lot of honor and they would take over running things while the son was still growing and, you know, becoming old enough and learning to take over. In this situation, however, technically Hatshepsut wasn't his mother. His mother was a woman named Isis or Iset. But she actually also died not long after Tutmos II. So that left Tutmose III without a direct mother and Hatshepsut was able to step in as regent without really much of a fuss because it just made sense at that point. There's also some speculation that Tutmose II, Hatshepsut's husband, may have been significantly younger than her. There's not a lot of records from back then to tell us exactly how old the two siblings were. So we know that Hatshepsut was older than Tutmose II, but we don't know by how much. So for all we know, Hatshepsut actually ruled kind of as a regent with her husband because he would have been a lot younger than her and not had as much experience. We don't know, again, like I said, what the age difference is, so it's hard to say, but there is speculation that that was the case and that that was partly why no one in the court or anything like that really thought it was that strange for her to take over as regent when Tutmose II died and Tutmose III was still too young to take over. She was already doing it, so everyone was like, oh yeah, no, that's fine, it makes sense. Another thing that may have helped with her taking over as regent is the fact that because of the way the line before her had fallen, there had been roughly 35 out of 70 years where a female ruler had been running everything because the husbands and the sons had either died early or been too young to take over. So like I mentioned earlier, the king's mother situation where there had been a female regent. The difference between Hatshepsut and those previous women rulers is that all of the previous queens stayed queen. They still referred to themselves as a queen or as the king's mother. They didn't claim to be a pharaoh. Hatshepsut decided to take it one step further. Right after Tutmose II passed away, she immediately had Tutmose III crowned pharaoh. But a little while after taking control as regent, she actually also crowned herself as pharaoh, which was definitely a strange situation. Again, 
a lot of the history has been lost because it's been so long. There is speculation that part of the reason she did this may have been to ensure that Tutmos III would actually get to take control, you know, in case courtiers or rivals or something like that wanted to take over instead and were trying to push for it. By stepping in and taking on that role, she effectively could have secured the throne for him. That's one speculation. Another is that she wanted the power. She wanted to be in charge. She wanted to rule things. And she wanted to rule, run things her way. And so by crowning herself as pharaoh also, she gave herself that power. We don't have Hatshepsut's exact birth date or anything like that. A lot of the records have been lost for various reasons. One major one is something I'll mention a little later. But we do know that her rule was roughly between 1479 and 1458 BC. So she ruled for around 25 years-ish. Again, you know, hard to say the exact number. And she ruled very well and overall everything was peaceful and prosperous under her rule. One of the things she did, which historians believe is a big reason to why people didn't balk at the idea of a female pharaoh is that she was very careful in all depictions of herself as pharaoh to also have Tutmose Third pictured as pharaoh. So she didn't completely cut him out of the picture. What she did is just made them equals. So normally on statuary and monuments and things like that, he would have been depicted as the pharaoh and she would have been depicted more as the king's mother role or a regent. But what she did is she had herself depicted with slightly more masculine features. So things like instead of the typical female stance of feet together, she would have herself in a more masculine stance with her feet apart like she was walking. Or she would do things like putting herself in the full pharaoh headdress, but also having Tutmose III pictured in the full pharaoh outfit. Things like that. By doing this, she didn't cut out Tutmose III's power and she didn't make him less than a pharaoh. But she elevated herself above the normal status of a female ruler of the time. Because she wasn't just a regent, she wasn't just the king's mother, she was a pharaoh herself. Which was something that hadn't really been done before in this same situation. There had been some previous female pharaohs who ruled for various amounts of time, but usually it was because there was literally no one else in the family line to take over. So they stepped in because that was who was there. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about exactly what those female pharaohs' rules were like or what they did. We've got bits and pieces of the information. There were three that came before Hatshepsut, uh, one was the one we don't even have a name for, or at least I couldn't find the name, and that was the wife of King Jedkare Izezi, who was from the fifth dynasty of the Old Kingdom. And then there was another one in the sixth dynasty named Queen Neith Ikerti, or um, she was also referred to as uh, Nitokris. I think I'm saying these right, but I'm not 100%. The third one that came before Hatshepsut was Queen Nefurosobek. And hers is actually the one that some historians think that Hatshepsut may have modeled her rule after, because Nefer-Sorobek also mixed male and female motifs, just like Hatshepsut did whenever she depicted herself and Tutmose III. There were also two female pharaohs after Hatshepsut. One is Queen Tawosret of the 19th dynasty, so the one after Hatshepsut's. And then the last one is Cleopatra VII, who is the famous Cleopatra that we've all heard of. 
Another thing that Hatshepsut did in order to make herself appear a little more masculine and more like a male pharaoh ruler is that she went by the crown name of Ma'at Kara, which was a more masculine name than her normal name of Hatshepsut. So between the more masculine name depicting herself as slightly more masculine in a lot of images of herself, as well as the fact that there had been female rulers beforehand, although as regents, not as pharaohs, there really wasn't a lot of turmoil when she took over. At least not that we found evidence of. It appears to have been a fairly smooth transition. And during her rule, and as Thutmose III grew older, as far as we can tell, it appears that everything continued to be fairly straightforward, fairly amicable. You know, everything still continued to run fairly smoothly, is at least how it appears. You know, when you're dealing with something that is literally 1400 years before we even started looking at, you know, 0 AD, it's a little hard to tell because there's so many things that could have happened. And unfortunately, not all of the records remain, so historians often only have bits and pieces to use to piece together what happened. One thing we do know about Hatshepsut's reign is that she may have had a lover who was a commoner. There was a man named Senenmut who was well-educated and came to her court in Thebes as a courtier or possibly an entertainer. The records are a little sparse again because it's so long ago, but we do know that he eventually became an advisor to Hatshepsut and also acted as a tutor to her daughter, Neferude. So he was definitely around, and there are some who speculate that it's even possible, depending on how old Thutmose II, Hatshepsut's husband, was, you know, since he was her younger brother, it's possible that Senenmut might actually be Neferude's father. But that's all speculation. There's nothing to support that one way or the other because we have no idea how old Thutmose II was. So we don't even know if it's possible that he was her father or if he was way too young or, you know, what happened there. We do know that Senenmut was constantly around her for a lot of time, you know, between being the courtier entertainer and then the tutor to her daughter. And that he actually was in charge of building her greatest monument and the one that still stands today, which is the Temple of Deir al-Bari. It's a it's a beautiful temple that also had carvings all over that talked about her reign as the pharaoh, and there were lots of illustrations of festivals and processions that she had sponsored and created. There's also a special sun temple that's open to the air, an open-air sun temple inside it, and she built it so that she could accompany Ra through his daily path through the heavens and nether worlds, so basically follow the sun. And there are various hymns inscribed in different areas that describe each deity that controlled a particular hour of the day and linked Hatshepsut to that god, that deity. So by doing this, Hatshepsut gave herself power over time itself and indicated that she would merge with the sun god for eternity upon her passing. So basically, it was another way to say, hear me, even after I'm gone, I am powerful. Well, I think that well-timed meow from my cat Cupid was a good pausing point. And with that, I'll be back after the break. (laughs) 
So I want to start off talking to you this week about Dear DM. I'm really excited about this week's episode because our very own Logan, our 20-sided DM here at Nerdsmith, is going to be on the show with Joe, the host. Each episode, Joe gets together with a different DM and they discuss different advice, questions that they've been asked, or different things that they like to incorporate into their game. And I know that Logan was actually the DM for a game I was in, which ran over a thousand hours. We had over a thousand hours of gaming and it was a real-time game. So if a day passed in the real world, a day passed in the game world. And it was really interesting and it kept all of us players on our toes. There were 11 of us that he was coordinating, so you know it kept him busy. But he's going to be talking about that a little bit during the episode as well. And I definitely recommend you check it out. I also recommend checking out WAND Radio or wand radio, as some people call it. You can listen in to hear the uh, quote-unquote advice from Emmett, Calliope, and Rupert and see what sorts of new items people send in for them to test. It's always interesting to see what's going to happen and what side effect some of the items may have. You can find both of these shows on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts, and they're also available at nerdsmith.org. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. So, back to talking about Hot Shepsuit. One of the things she did, which really hadn't been done by some of her predecessors in the 18th dynasty, is that she focused on rebuilding Egypt internally. She didn't do as much of the combat and campaigns against other countries, but she established a lot of really good trade agreements. For instance, she reestablished trade with a country called Punt. Punt? I'm not sure exactly how you say that. And one campaign that she did lead that was military is that she retook parts of Nubia and sort of reclaimed it for Egypt. One of the reasons this was so important is that to the Egyptian people, it was important for a king, a pharaoh, to honor two different aspects of being pharaoh. One was called Heka, and that was sort of the administration, the rituals, and things like that that led to Ma'at, which is harmony. The other one that they thought was important is something called Sekem. And like I said before, I think I'm saying these right, but it's hard to know. And Sekem dealt with wars and justice. And what it was designed to do is stop chaos and confusion from setting in. So basically create order. So between the two, that's sort of where the pharaohs had to fall. They were supposed to do a little bit of both. In Hatshepsut's case, most of what she did revolved more in the Heka area. She did more of the administration, more of the internal building. But this was actually something that was very important because all of her predecessors in the 18th dynasty, Amos I and her father, Tutmos I, and her even her husband, Tutmos II, their focus was more on campaigning, on fighting. They focused more on Sekim, on conquering other areas. And in fact, she did so much in the arena of Heka, of rebuilding and building monuments, building statuary, improving the city, that after she passed away, her nephew, 
Thutmose III actually put his name over some of the things she built because he he didn't focus on that as much. He actually focused more on the fighting and the combat. Almost as soon as she had passed away, he focused in on that. So if he hadn't put his name over some of her accomplishments, he may have been considered not a complete pharaoh. Well, he may have been considered a pharaoh who didn't do a complete job would probably be a better way to say that because he didn't do enough Heka and focused too much on Sekim. Hatshepsut passed away in roughly 1458 BC and she would have been in around her 50s. Again, we don't know an exact birth date, so it's hard to say exactly. They did find her remains and they've had a chance to study them and have actually discovered that what she died from was bone cancer, possibly not necessarily caused, but exacerbated by a skin cream that she used. She was also diabetic and had arthritis. And although 50 doesn't sound like that old for us, back during the time of the Egyptian pharaohs, some pharaohs barely made it to 25. So the fact that she actually lived to 50 was a very respectable age. Unfortunately, after she died, a lot of records of what she had done and accomplished in Egypt were lost or destroyed. And they weren't destroyed by accident or by invaders. They were actually destroyed by Thutmose III, her nephew. It's actually something that happened with all of the female pharaohs that we know of. Each one of them had their records essentially destroyed after they passed away. There are several different theories on why this may have been done. In general, one theory is that because they were so focused on having a male pharaoh, a man in charge because of the belief system and because of tradition, one possibility is simply that they didn't want to admit that there had ever been a female ruler. Obviously, they weren't able to erase them completely from history since we know they existed, but that is one possibility, as unfortunate as it is. The other situation, in terms of Hatshepsut at least, is that her nephew, because of the way she took power, was essentially denied his divine right, quote-unquote, to rule as pharaoh. The way they saw things, Thutmose III had a divine right to rule as the sole leader of Egypt as the pharaoh. And by basically forcing him to share that power with her, Hatshepsut essentially took some of his role, some of his birthright. So even though, as far as we can tell, the reign during the two of them being around was fairly amicable and functioned well... After she passed away, or perhaps over the years, resentment built up, and he did purposely lead a campaign to destroy as much of her record as possible. Now, he obviously didn't manage to destroy all of it, because we still have bits and pieces, but he even went so far as to move her mummy from where she had been buried originally. When she was laid to rest in her tomb, she actually had her father, Thutmose I, reburied with her, and... Later, Thutmose III moved her to another location, and later archaeologists found her body again and were able to study it, and that's how we know as partly how we know as much as we know about her. And unfortunately, except for the reburying part, this isn't something that was abnormal after a female pharaoh. 
for every female pharaoh that I mentioned earlier, with perhaps the exception of Cleopatra, they had their monuments destroyed afterwards. And I believe actually that some of Cleopatra's were as well. And like I mentioned, one of the possibilities that archaeologists think may have been the reason is because of not wanting to show that there was a female leader because it was supposed to be a male-led society. Another possibility, though this one seems less likely, given that they did start new dynasties each time, is that they were trying to pretend that the new pharaoh was actually the son or cousin or nephew, you know, some sort of relation, preferably offspring, of the previous king. This doesn't seem as likely because in most cases, after a female pharaoh, which usually meant there was no male heir, they would then be followed by a whole new dynasty. So for instance, I mentioned Queen Neferosobek earlier, and she was actually the last king of the 12th dynasty. When she took over, there were no male heirs of the line, and she was the last of that dynasty because there were no male heirs after her, since for the queen to take over, it meant that her husband had to have passed away and she had to have no sons in the line to take over instead. But like I mentioned, a lot of historians don't think that's as likely a reason, simply because most of the time, the new dynasty actually established themselves as a new dynasty and didn't claim to be descendant from the previous one. In some of the other female pharaohs' cases, we don't know, really, because we don't have enough information, whether or not there were extenuating circumstances behind their monuments being destroyed, other than the fact that they were a female pharaoh. However, in terms of Hatshepsut's reign, there are some other factors that could have played a part in why Thutmose III was so intent on erasing her from history. One possible reason is that she didn't lead a lot of military campaigns. She didn't do a lot of Sekhem, as I mentioned earlier. Now, he did. Thutmose III did a lot. But honestly, if Hatshepsut had not established such a strong core to the Egyptian country, to their rule, he wouldn't have had the stability he needed to lead some of those campaigns that he did. However, of course, at the time, they may not have seen it that way. And so one possibility is that because she didn't do enough Sekhem, or at least what some of them would have considered not enough Sekhem, she would have been considered not a true pharaoh, not a full pharaoh, and having not fulfilled her duties, it would have then helped him justify removing her from the records. Now, I'm sure there are other kings who either didn't fulfill Sekhem or didn't fulfill Heka very well. For instance, Thutmose III, I mentioned, did not do a lot of rebuilding. So he actually put his name over some of the things his aunt had built in order to make sure he had enough Heka. But regardless of that... It still makes it a little sketchy, the fact that he went to such lengths to erase her from history. Now again, obviously we don't have personal journals or anything really from back then, so it's hard to say exactly what the relationship was like between these two. There are some writings that hint at things being fairly amicable, at least while Hatshepsut was alive, but who knows if it changed or if he became angrier as she continued to live a long life, at least by their standards, and therefore he didn't get to take over as soon as he thought he would, you know, those kinds of things. Because once you're crowned pharaoh, you can't pass that title on until you die. So when she crowned herself pharaoh, even though she might 
quote unquote, might have been saving the crown, saving the throne to ensure that Thutmose III got to take over, it still meant that she couldn't step down as pharaoh until she passed away. She couldn't give it over to him entirely. She would always be one of the two pharaohs at the time. Another possibility, at least in Hatshepsut's case, and it's a little more of a sinister possibility, is that Thutmose III was trying to ensure that Hatshepsut would not get to go to the afterlife the way she was supposed to. There was a belief in ancient Egypt that if you didn't have depictions of yourself out there in the world, that you would in some way not be able to pass on properly, not be able to join the gods in the afterlife, which for them would have been a really big deal. So essentially, there are some who think he might partly have been trying to erase all images of her and all record of her because he was so angry at her that he was trying to prevent her from even getting to go to a proper afterlife. He was trying to force her spirit to forever be unsettled. Which, I really hope that's not the case, because honestly, that's a very, very unhappy possibility. But unfortunately, it is one of the possibilities that exists. So, we don't know for certain, and probably never will know for certain, because so many of the records were destroyed, exactly why the female pharaohs were so vehemently erased from the history record of Egypt. But we do know they existed, and in Hatshepsut's case... We know that she rebuilt Egypt after having it, after her dynasty had reclaimed it from the invaders and really built it up to be a thriving country, a thriving kingdom like it had been before, at least internally. She didn't do a lot of conquering, but she rebuilt a lot of things internally. And honestly, there are some who suspect that if she could have, she would have not done any military campaigns at all and would have chosen instead to simply rebuild Egypt from the inside out. There are also others who, you know, there's record of her joining her father on campaigns and things like that. So it's hard to say. I Unfortunately, like I've said multiple times already, most of the records regarding her were destroyed. Her, a lot of her monuments were destroyed and the inscriptions that talk about her were destroyed, again, by Thutmose III's design. So there's really not as much known as we would like there to be. I would love it if we could somehow find, you know, more information. Maybe in the future, archaeologists will uncover something that gives us just a ton of information, you know, some sort of writings or some sort of inscriptions that were hidden that he didn't manage to destroy. But we may never know the full story of exactly what happened after and why he so vehemently destroyed her record. It'd be interesting to find out. So I hope someday we do. With that, I'm going to bring an end to this week's episode. And don't forget that if you have a topic you'd like me to discuss, you can contact me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic, and that's magic with a CK. Or you can drop a line to Nerdsmith at we are Nerdsmith on Twitter as well. You can also find us on our Discord channel. And if you go to the Nerdsmith website, www.nerdsmith.org, on the upper right hand menu you can see links to all of our different social media where you can find us like us follow us all of that if you're interested in reading more about hot shepsuit there are a lot of history books about her or at least about as much information as we have and the one i used is actually called hot shepsuit the pharaoh queen of egypt by a 
an author or at least an author that goes by the name In 60 Learning. The one I read is actually a Kindle book. I'm sure it's available in paperback, but I read it as a Kindle book. So I would recommend checking it out if you want to learn more. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Sorry, guys. We got to jump in. I'm sorry. What do you do? What do you mean jump in? You're going to do a wild jump. You're going to kill I us all. I don't have a choice. Oh, I'm no, sorry. no. This isn't good. You know what happened last time. It, we're not. I got to go. Sorry. Oh, hold God. on. Guys, we're taking fire. Just land us near a hospital. Hold on. Like what you hear? This is a small sample of the action and excitement that await you every Monday on the Chaotic Goodness Podcast. Download us on your favorite podcast app and join us for space opera, action, adventure, and lots and lots of console cleaning. Let the chaos begin. Now we can be found as part of the NerdSmith Podcast Network. Find us at nerdsmith.org. Hi, you've reached Married to the DM. Tessa and Logan aren't here right now. Please leave your gaming or relationship questions at the sound of the beep and we'll get back to you during our next episode. Till then, the couple that plays together stays together. Beep! Did you just say beep? Yes. Married to the DM. Find us at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts.